every single episode. <laughs> there has to be something about poop in it. There I, is there is a lot of poop. I honestly think like Jenkins has a post-it note wherever he writes these scripts, and all it yeah. says on there is Can I pigeonhole Mary Magdalene into this episode? And where's the poop? Boogity boogity, boogity. What how's that go? Boogity boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. Boogity boogity boogity. Let's go podcasting, Zach. I have no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> That's what Daryl Waltrip used to say when they would go racing. Daryl. Boogity, boogity boogity boys. Let's go racing. Daryl Waltrip. Waltrip. Yeah, race car driver. Okay. That's, that's what great. we should say. Boogity, 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 Zach. Let's go podcasting. We could, we could, but we're not going to. Uh, Please. Nope. Hello and welcome back to Rotten Righteous, the only podcast that built its show on the sand and the rain is tumbling down. With me today, as always, he's Scott Judge in the flesh. In the rain. Comes tumbling down, so will the podcast. Listen. Come tumbling down. Our shack has collapsed around us. Our podcast shack has collapsed around us, but for some reason we thought it was a good idea to get inside like the bathroom door frame or something. And so we're surrounded by rubble. This shouldn't exist anymore, but because we just made it into that bathroom, uh, we, we survived. I'm sorry, Zach. You said rubble, and all I could think of was Barney. Of course. <laughs> Scott, I got to tell you, I've I've just been dying to talk about this episode ever since I finished it, uh, which was 10 seconds before I called you. Um, yeah? Yeah, I was like, oh, man, 10 seconds ago, finished this episode. It's great. Today, or this week, has been the single hardest week of my life, and I'm not even... Really? joke i would rather go through greek finals again than what i've gone through since monday oh do tell because this has got to be interesting philip our three almost four month old had has contracted an ear infection oh no and for well, since since monday he he's crying non-stop stopped taking his afternoon nap and has done nothing but scream at the top of his lungs. Yeah. And pull my beard hair out. Scott, wow. this boy has yanked on my beard so much that more than once I have thought about going into the bathroom and shaving it off because it hurts so bad. The only reason why I still have a beard before you today, and keep in mind, this is like a six inch long beard. I've been growing this thing for a year. The only reason why Truth my beard's be told, still here today is I, I don't have, have time. Yeah, I don't have 15 minutes to go to the bathroom and shave my face. <laughs> so, I'm very thankful just for, just to see you, just to get out of my house for five seconds. Wow. And uh, Out in Rotten or Righteous Land, I want to let you know that when you know it's bad is when Zach says he's excited, he's happy to see me. Friends, yeah. he is having a bad, bad week. <laughs> 
it's it's been a difficult week, but he's uh on some some meds now that should hopefully knock this year infection out. Uh, well, he's been on them for about twenty four hours now. So that's first two dosage of uh, his. Yeah. I don't know. So so did JoJo get ear infections? No. No. Joseph never cried. Yeah. He cried when he was hungry, and then you gave him a bottle, and then he stopped crying until he was hungry again. And you were thinking, yeah, Philip will be just like this. Oh my goodness! It's this kid. If he's not does not have physical contact with you twenty four seven, he is not content. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have felt like a prisoner in my own house with the world's tiniest, squishiest prison warden. <laughs> It's about some about time someone put you in line, Mr. Geiler. I'm just waiting for an angel to come in the middle of the night and wake me up by punching me in the side and leading me out of my house for just a break. So but when it, do you think you'll be rehabilitated? I hope that I hope that he becomes a little more independent the more he's able to sit up and, and do more things, but I I I've lost all hope for the future. I have no idea. For all I know, this is my life for the next 18 plus years. So. Uh, it'll get better, but not soon enough. I'll be praying for you. I'll anyways, for Philip. we're not here to tell stories about my infant son. We're here to talk about the chosen. The granddaddy the of them all. chosen episode they've come out with yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna probably have to agree with you, but really, no, I mean, this episode, season three, episode two, two by two, is what makes me so mad when we watch an episode like last week's episode. Yeah, because when the chosen is good, it is really, 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 really good. And the thing is... I cried twice. I don't know why, but... I cried... Well, I'll tell you where it was when we get to it, but I cried twice. Okay. Well, I st- I'm still going to make fun of it. Because that's well, what... I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we do. That's what we do here, so... <laughs> but it really is is good. Anyways, let's go ahead and get into our, our discussion. <clears throat> Season 3, Episode 2 opens like all the best episodes of The Chosen, with a Roman soldier who once guarded Matthew talking to his boss about visitors to Capernaum to see Jesus while sharing a loaf of creamy bread. Already we have to stop and talk about that scene. Yeah, I lost hope right off the bat, actually. First of all, I want to say that I did go to IMDb and look up these actual names, just Uh so, so I knew them. Uh, the boss's name is Atticus. Didn't know that. The zealot hunter from last season, Atticus. And the Roman soldier who used to watch Matthew's name is is Gaius or Gaius, which why Gaius, how Gaius. I yeah. could forget that name is beyond me. But yeah, an immature those, man like yourself. Right. But those are their names. And Gaius is eating like a piece of rye bread. Mm-hmm. And he offers some to Atticus. He like tears it in half. And Atticus takes a bite of it and he just goes, hmm, creamy. See, I'm afraid if you're eating creamy bread, something might be wrong. I've never, ever, ever 
bit into a roll, and I've had some good bread in my life. I, I'm, yeah. I love me some carbs. Had some good bread in my life. I've never once bit into, I don't know, a Pillsbury Crescent roll and just went, Wait, mm. creamy? <laughs> That's creamy. Creamy. I, if I could get to you in six hours, which I can, <laughs> could offer you a piece of creamy bread. I don't want to eat a piece of creamy bread. It would be one slice slickered with mayonnaise. And it would taste creamy. But it's not the bread that's creamy. That's the mayonnaise that's creamy. Well, I know. But and besides, I'm trying to fool you. If you bring mayonnaise into my house, I'm going to punch you right in the forehead. Because I'm a miracle whip uh, house. You're, you're a miracle whip man. Yeah. Which, by the way, so, can we just talk about that for a second? My Apparently, that's yeah. a uh, uh, Midwestern thing that has not made its way into the South. Not miracle whip. Miracle whip has. But Kelsey... Still, after nearly nine years of marriage, if I'm making a sandwich or something and she's by the fridge and I say, hey, pass me the mayonnaise, we'll look for a jar of of Hellman's or something and say, Uh we don't have mayonnaise. And I'm like, no, we do. It's right there in the blue jar. It says Miracle Whip on it. She goes, that's not not mayonnaise. It is mayonnaise. Just give me the mayonnaise. Anyways... (laughs) We have the squeeze bottle, but Lady Rich, you've been married nine years now. It'll be nine years. Yeah, this is, we'll be, we're married in 2014. Oh boy. What did we graduate? for listening. Tune this out. We graduated in 18. No, we didn't. You got married in 18. No, no. 16. Yeah, we, 16. so I got married in 15, yeah. so this will be seven years. No, it'll be eight years. Eight years. Yeah, it will be eight years. Eight years in the in uh, December. But I got to tell you, man, it's only felt like eight years. Anyways. Hey, this is 56 in dog years. Right. Anyways, Gaius seems conflicted with his feelings after witnessing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I don't know why, to be honest with you. The Chosen's Jesus didn't do that great of a sermon. But it has affected a lot of people. He, he's struggling. I mean, he is, and he, it is made quite obvious in a couple different scenes, maybe three different scenes in this episode. He, he's he's got a lot going on in his mind right now. Right, but he's not going to tell his boss that he's he's struggling because he's yeah. found some level of faith in Jesus. So when when Atticus asks him what's wrong, if something's up, Gaius is just like, "No, sir, nothing's wrong, sir." And Atticus says, "The only, probably the dumbest line in the whole show." Besides the creamy bread thing, man, they just hit two balls right away. Don't get me wrong. Oh, they yeah, knocked right it out of the man. park, but they knocked it out of the park with a full count. So anyways, mm-hmm. Atticus turns to him and says, you know, secrets are like murder. They always get found out. Yeah, what did and, that mean? I'll be honest. I don't think that's right. I looked it up. All right. I went online. Oh, oh boy. I looked it up. It's going to be a great fact. <laughs> Between 1965 and 2021, in America, there's been 989,398 homicides. Wow. Of those homicides, only 657,665 have been solved, which is 66% of all homicides. Yeah. Now, if you just look at 2021, only 51% of murders have been solved. So what Atticus is saying is that murders are like secrets. What he should have been saying, they always get found out. Mm-mm. If they're like murders, 
he got about a 50-50 chance of getting away with it. Yeah, you got a shot. There's a shot. Unless you're I mean, in Chicago, and then that goes up. I mean, unless, unless ancient Capernaum had a better murder-solve rate than modern America with its forensics oh. and everything. Plot I twist. I, I don't think that's right. Are you hinting that possibly Angela Lansbury will be making an appearance? Who? Angela Lansbury. If there's anybody older listening to the podcast, they'll really find that funny, and they're laughing right now. Is that like Oprah's black friend that write the poems? <laughs> I tell you, it might be. That was an 80s TV show, Murder, she wrote. She liked Dr. Ruth, or... Well, they, she lived in Cabot Cove. They averaged a murder a week, and she solved every one of them. Hmm. That's been your this week's edition of Scott's Old Corner, where <laughs> we, we, go over, have, we, we go over I'm to a corner where Scott have. makes a reference that nobody <laughs> under the age of, of 40 is going to understand. <laughs> hey, and I can tell you right now, as long as I'm on this show, there'll be a Scott's Old Corner. If I can throw in a little 80s reference. And trust me, Scott, hey, you, will, you will person, always be on this show until we get Luke hey, back. Um, until we get Luke back, and then I'm going. <laughs> if there's somebody my age on the show, they laughed at that. They found that funny. But 99% people, of the people are you're going, You're the only person. You're, idiot. You know, you're the only person your age that knows how to find and listen to a podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> I tell you what. I'm sure that's not true, but according to the people I hang out with, that's absolutely true. Uh, that night, Simon and Nathaniel are at a camp of holy tourists, all looking to see Jesus. And Simon takes it upon himself to become the Jewish equivalent of, of Smokey the Bear. He's just going around. And I tried to finish that joke, like, what would be the Jewish equivalent of Smokey the Bear? And I was like, ah, Ishmael the Beaver or something. But that's not funny, because Smokey's name is Smokey because of fire. Yeah. And I don't know enough Hebrew to... uh to make a, a, a joke that makes sense there. And Nathan or Simon is going around. It's like, Hey, look, your, your tents are going to catch on fire. Your fire's too close to your tent. And the one follower's like, well, who are you Jewish Smokey the bandit? And he's like, no, I just don't want the Romans to look at you and get more attention to Jesus. And he's like, Oh, you must be an apostle. Cause you care about that stuff. And Simon's like, yeah, I guess. And so everybody's just shouting questions at him and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know they want to know where Jesus is. Now I will say, this is where, this is where they they did something good. The first time in this episode is that during this questioning, uh, where's Jesus? How where can we find him? When is he going to come see us? Blah 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 blah. Someone shouts, "Why did he say nothing about overthrowing Rome in his sermon?" And I thought that was a very good use of that crowd to show that most of the Jews in the first century were looking for a literal king to sit on a physical throne like David. Overthrow Rome. Yep. And so, again, I see you. I see you. See pop, you. you pop up every once in a while. Jenkins, every once in a while, you, you do something, you do something good. It's like that line in Dumb and Dumber. Just when I think that you can't do anything that makes me angrier as you just batter the gospel story. You do something like this and totally and redeem totally. yourself. <laughs> oh, boy. 
And so kudos, Mister Jenkins. And Nathaniel tells Simon that he needs to pick his battles, and Simon reluctantly agrees. There's a lesson that a lot of congregations should probably learn. And then, mm-hmm. as they're walking away, we see Atticus, the famous zealot hunter slash boss of, of Gaius, looking confused as the two apostles pass him and his hands on his dagger. And I'm like, oh no, is Atticus about to stab Simon? Are we about to find out if the murder solve rate is better in first century Palestine than modern America by an example? It may happen. Oh boy, this is about to be exciting. I cannot wait. It's stupid theme song every time. It ruins everything. And I don't know, you know what, I had a flashback when I was watching that. I remember the first episode we watched, I'm like, I don't like this theme song. I just don't, and I guess I've gotten used to it, but I still don't care for it a whole lot. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll text Jenkins after the show and let him know. See if he can't change it. If you it. would, see if you, can't, see if you can't get him on the show. Yeah. We need to get him and, uh, what's our Mormon lady friend? Uh, that didn't sound good at all. Jessica Longshirt. Yes. I don't know. So, quick, quick, let me bounce something off of you here real quick. Please don't. I'm Uh, so tired. Yeah, I am too. I'll make it quick. Gaius is mentioned in scripture with, it's in one of Paul's letters, and I don't remember quickly where it's at. You don't suppose Jenkins is going to have this Gaius be the Gaius that's mentioned in the Bible. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Jenkins is going to do. I don't know. Hey. I'm throwing, I'm, I'm throwing a little sneaky sneak out at you. That's one of the reasons why I like this show so much is I don't know week from week whether or not he's going to have Jesus arrested. Maybe next week Nathaniel's just going to be shot what? by a sniper for some reason. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Nothing to do with the biblical man. Here's my prediction, just real quick. Romans 16, 23. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Cordus, a brother. That's in Romans 16, 23. It will happen before we get through the chosen that Gaius will turn to Christ. That's possible. But you know what's funny? That's my favorite verse. I actually have that uh, on a woodcut. Above my mantelpiece, that exact verse. You know, I remember seeing that. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to start doing. That. <laughs> I'd be like show and tell time. You'd be like, you all might find this verse interesting. No, I'm serious. I'm telling you, I might make Ron a righteous official branded, uh, you know, scripture boards where instead of hey. like instead of like the boards are like, uh. Be strong and courageous from Joshua. It just says, like, Nehab begat Shamalama Ding Dong. It's great. Instead of uh, Philippians 4.13, you would have you would have 1 Timothy 5.9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Right. Boom. I just wasn't- random. No, it'd just be all names. Like just names? Yeah, just like Acts one one. Oh great Theophilus. I have set to write you an or an accurate account. Why is that in your bathroom? It's my favorite verse, man. It gives me inspiration. Anyways. 
some days. It allows me to concentrate. <laughs> After the theme song, we're with Matthew at his dad's house, and he's just fondling a hanky for some reason. I think it's his security hanky. It could very be. Could very well be. And uh, he and his dad are sitting down at the table for the first time in years. And of course, his parents want to hear all about Matthew's travels with Jesus. And Matthew's like, it's fine, you know, I'm good at camping now. And, and oh, by the way, I feel about the debt I owe you because I became a tax collector. And he apologizes for his poor choices and being selfish. And as his career choice shamed his family, and he just goes on and on apologizing until his daddy's like, son, take a breath, sit down and eat. I'm sorry for disowning you. Yeah. Granted, this, I did lose my business. State. Yeah. Granted, I did lose my business because of you and all my friends and my house and my reputation and most of my hair. But I'm sorry, son. <laughs> it's on me. Because you follow Jesus, and I'd like Jesus' sermon, you can be my kid again. And yeah. Matthew just sets down his security hanky. This, 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 was, this was a really good scene. This is, one, this, is the, uh, this is the first scene I welled up at a little bit. I had a little tear trickle down my face. Right, because you, if I remember correctly, turned your parents in to the IRS for auditing. I did. I did. You weren't an agent or anything. You just called up a tip line. Was like you need to check these people out. <laughs> okay. You need to <laughs> listen. My mom and dad. Matthew and his dad forgive each other, and uh, his father gives Matthew back the key to his house, and Matthew doesn't want it back. And his father says, "Well, then burn it down." And then Matthew says, "How would I do that?" And, and I say. Wait, hold on. Matthew and his father forgiving one another led to the suggestion of arson? Yep. That's what happens sometimes, man. I tell you what, I wish I could have gone into the episode and found Atticus at this point and asked him if arson is like secrets. That's true. Or if, or if it's just murder. You, you kind of flash back to the, the scene earlier, too, where Peter's like, oh, you got to put that fire out. It's too close to the too close to the tent or whatever. And then and then they're like, yeah, let's just burn his house down at the end of the city. Like, what, what are you talking about? Just burn it down. What a weird yeah. thing to say. There's ball, too. <laughs> <laughs> Set it ablaze. But in uh, all seriousness, it really is a touching scene about the power of Jesus to bring people together through faith and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then all the good that this episode has garnered up to this point is ruined by Gaius and Atticus going to Quintus's office. Oh. <sighs> and that shiny-headed praetor of Capernaum is shouting off-screen, Drink it! And I immediately decided I had enough chosen for the day, and I turned the show off, and I went home. I mean that 100%. I said, yep, that's enough for me today. I remember you telling me that when we talked the other day. You're like, I couldn't do it. Well, he, he's, he's just not a likable guy. Well, the thing is, I, I don't know why it bothered me so much. I think it's because like it subconsciously reminded me of of when I'm trying to get my infant son to drink his bottle because he's screaming because he's hungry, but he won't take his mm -hmm. bottle. Mm -hmm. And so then I, you, you that, reminded yourself of uh, Quintus, huh? Right. 
And that, that led me down to ask the, an, an, an existential question. Is the reason why I despise Quintus so much is because he reminds me of myself. And then I said, don't, don't answer that question, Zach. That is only pain and suffering down that alley. You need to just go home. Hey, did we bring that up in the first uh, season? I don't know. I think we might have. I may try to find that. Anywho, uh, Quintus is hey, yelling. sewage in the water, though. We can't have sewage in the water. That is true. He is yelling at he a just... worker because there's sewage in the drinking water. Because you cannot have an episode of The Chosen without at least one scatological reference. Every single episode. <laughs> there has to be something about poop in it. There is, on- there is a lot of poop. I honestly think like Jenkins has a post-it note wherever he writes these scripts. And all it yeah. says on there is, can I pigeonhole Mary Magdalene into this episode? And where's the poop? And he Scata- checks... Scatological? Is that what you said? Scatological. Yep. Scatological. That is your vocab word of the day. Scatological. I'm going to write a song to it. Please don't. The theme of cowboy logic. It's an adjective relating to. Nope, stop. I don't. It's such a pain in the butt to to cut out when you're talking underneath (laughs) it. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's an adjective. You just said pain in the butt and scatological. <laughs> right. It's referring to or characterized by an interest in excrement or excretion. So, there you go. Mm. So, once that's done, Gaius and Atticus sit down across from shiny-headed Quintus's shiny, stupid desk. And Quintus wants to know about Jesus's sermon. And Gaius dodges the question, and Atticus said it was just nothing but boring Jewish stuff. And Quintus doesn't really care what it was about. He just wants all these Jewish tourists gone. But Atticus is quick to offer another solution, a solution that Quintus loves. Why don't they redraw the city lines to include the camp where the tourists are staying so that way they can collect tax revenue from them? Good thinking, Atticus. Nice. And Gaius is sent to enforce the new tax plan while also being gentle about it because nobody wants the people to riot. And Atticus says that he's off to Jerusalem to meet Pontius Pilate. But here's the thing. When Atticus says he's going to go someplace, what he means is he's going to run 47 other errands and then maybe go to where he says he's going to go. Not one time in this show has Atticus like, hey, I'm going to the supermarket. In the next scene, we see him buying some cabbage. It's a supermarket. He's always I like, think he's going up there to tattle on, on, uh, on, uh, you know, oh, what's his name? Quintus. Right. Maybe. Right. I don't. We're at Zebedee's house next. In the next scene, as James, John, and Thomas are forced to drink Zebedee's homemade olive oil. Not a euphemism. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Just a cotton picking minute. I find that really funny on one hand, and on the other hand, I'm thinking, what would olive oil be a euphemism for? The pure, all things are pure. I guess. But I will say, I, I, drink a- I no, I yeah. You know what? When with my digestive uh, system, the one thing that I love is to just lubricate it up even more. I, I just, you know, 
every night when I go to bed, I just grab the palm olive and just palm olives. <laughs> yep. Nope. I didn't mean to say that. The palm oil. Just grab the the canola oil out of the cupboard and I just down a down a bottle. Yeah, I like olives. I I drink the olive juice, the olive juice on occasion. Oh man, I love olive joys. You ever have joys. an olive joy? That chocolate and yes. olives on top of coconut? Doesn't that sound yes. great? <laughs> thinking, you know that I'm that, thinking here, categorically that maybe a. a did you say scategorically? Scategories is a scategories is yeah, a game. No. That's not a word. That's not the word you were looking for. <laughs> no, it, it is. It is. Bear with me. I'm thinking. I'm thinking a cup of milk and a cup of olive oil. Oh gosh. Scategorically uh, take care of any problems you might have. Oh my goodness. I have to go to the bathroom just thinking about that. Gosh, <laughs> twenty-seven pounds. Now I tell you what. I did take comfort in this scene to see that even two thousand years ago. First century middle-aged men just start making things and yeah. forcing their children to try out whatever they're making. Mm-hmm. For my dad, <laughs> for my dad, it's syrup. He makes his own syrup, but to be fair, it's awesome. Is it's it the good? Bomb. Is it maple? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good deal. Other kind of what do you think he's making? Corn syrup? I don't know. Corn syrup, bean syrup. I don't know. Personally, I'm, I'm jumping the gun. I'm getting heavily involved in egg-laying hens. I love I know. it. Scott, what's your midlife business venture? Uh, I got nothing. Man, you need to do something with your life. I got nothing. I think we are going to get some chickens. Do you, know what I, do you know what I do while I sit here and wait for you to call? I get on YouTube and I get greatest baseball objections. So I, I watch baseball games where managers get thrown out and just kind of enjoy those moments. That's that's my midlife crisis. I mean, that's not going to make you any money. No, no, you can no. you can make five dollars a dozen selling eggs. I know we're we're talking about getting some hens, some chickens. I hope you like poop because it's going to be everywhere. I know. But only scatologically things. Anyways, so they're drinking Zebedee's oil. They're like, Dad, this is great. Thank you for letting me try this. And then Thomas just drops the most obvious bomb on the entire entire conversation. He's like, guys, this might come as a shock to you, but I think I'm going to ask Rama to marry me. And I promise you, Scott, I promise you, I thought they were already engaged. I thought they were already engaged last season when they were traveling together to do weddings. Yeah, they were just business partners. Yeah, because that's that that would happen in the first century. You have to have an arranged marriage, but yeah. you could just be business partners. Nobody's gonna think. Man. Nobody's gonna think negatively of that. So we had this great episode up till now, and then so. Of course, Thomas can't do anything without asking Jesus for permission and then asking Rama's dad for permission because you may or may not know this, but uh, in the first draft of the Gospels, uh, there is a line that says, uh, Thine shalt ask Jesus before asking thy lady's handeth upon the marriage. It's King ter- James Version, folks. It was terribly worded. That's probably why they cut it out. Thy thine and handeth. And 
but Thomas does say a line that, again, I'm, this isn't a ball. This is a strike. All right? Against this uh-huh. episode. Strike one. Thomas goes, I need to ask Jesus for permission to do this, but I know in my heart that it's right. So I know Jesus is going to make it work. Yeah. Thomas. Thomas. Look at you turning a little charismatic. You little charismatic doubter. <laughs> but Jesus, it was, I just, it felt right in my heart. Right. That's what that must mean. It's right. Next scene. Next scene. <laughs> we ain't even going to preach on that one. We could. Eden is essentially needing dough in the dark, and Peter sneaks up behind her. And they're almost interrupted again as they're getting a little bit closer to each other by their other apostle roommates. But Peter basically tells them to, to shut up and put pillows over their heads. And then Peter leads Eden away from her dough to, I'm not making this up, go and study. That's what Next the kids scene. were calling it back uh, in the first century. <laughs> I mean, what we call... This was almost like a ghost scene, too. I mean, he comes up behind her to kind of help knead the dough a little bit. Right. and Right. Uh, Next scene, please. Uh, Simon is wandering through the dark Capernaum Alley, and he draws a bucket of poop water from the well. And an intense musical cue begins to play in the background as shadowy men can be seen just running across the alley. Like, just... <laughs> it looked like an episode from Scooby-Doo. Like, when, yes. the, when the ghost is, like, trying to sneak up, and so you just see it run across the alley one way, mm-hmm. and then run across the alley the other way. <laughs> it was dumb. That, that's, that's, their third, that's their third ball. And when they take their base in this game, you're out. You're Anyways, out. Simon's able to parkour his way onto the rooftops, away from the shadows. But, uh... Atticus is just just sitting up there. He just knew the exact roof roof that, that Simon was going to hop up on there. Was that Peter that was up there with him? No, it was Atticus. Simon the Zealot. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, okay, I'm thinking Simon Peter. Yes, yeah, Simon the Zealot. No, I, I call Peter Peter and Simon Simon for just this reason. Okay. Well, Jesus calls him Z. I'm not doing that. Oh, come on. Just like yeah, I'm not going to. No, I don't. Just like I'm not going to call Thaddeus Thad. Not doing it. <laughs> hey, is that is it actually, let me ask you a quick question. Is it Z or is it Z-E-E? Or in this case, Z-E-A? Well, on uh, I, on the closed captions, it does say Z-E-E on it. Z-E-E, okay. But anyways, I keep saying anyways, and I'm sorry. Simon's up on the roof. Atticus is there. And Atticus makes his intention clear. He was hunting Simon. Because Simon was guilty of plotting a murder against the Roman official. Or, and a Roman official down in Jerusalem. Of course, Simon never killed the official because Jesus healed the lame man. And, that was, was it Simon's brother? I think so, yeah. But, Atticus doesn't want to arrest Simon anymore. He just wants to know who Jesus is. He's not a believer, but he's just interested in what Jesus is going to do next. Further, Atticus warns Simon that zealots are chasing him for desertion, and they're never going to stop hunting him. So, there's that storyline we have to deal with now. 
Mm-hmm. It's only going to develop. It's going to... That's the other thing, too. Jenkins, stop putting storylines in here. Just... Hate. Tell the gospel story. He's got to get eight seasons. He doesn't. He could have been done by now. Well, he could have. But there's nowhere near eight seasons. Isn't it eight seasons? I, I don't know. Next scene. Simon and Eden are laying in bed. And I got to tell you, Scott, I don't think they were really studying. <laughs> really? Wait, why, what makes you think that? Peter's bare arms were showing. <laughs> and Eden's hair was down. I think we're both right now. <laughs> what are we going to say? <laughs> And Peter lets Eden know that he thinks Jesus is going to be doing some more work around Capernaum, so he should be home more often. So naturally, this is the perfect time to start trying for a baby. Again. Yep, yep. Not a euphemism. Next scene. Cold hard truth. It's been 31 minutes and 38 seconds since we've seen Mary Magdalene in The Chosen, so now it's time to correct that. Mary and Rama are talking about how their money's running out. So they might have to move into Matthew's former house. Rama suggests that they should get into the olive oil business and sell Zebedee's product. And then the topic turns to how a great student and worker Thomas is and how dedicated he is. But Rama doesn't want to admit that she's in love with Thomas because it's up to her daddy to who she's going to marry. But if her father twisted her arm, she supposes that she would (laughs) marry Thomas. She'd marry Thomas if she had to. Giggle, giggle. Next scene, and probably the best scene in the entirety of the three seasons of The Chosen up to this point. Ooh, I'm anxious to hear this. Jesus must have sent out a group text message saying, hey, everybody, spring break's over. Let's meet at at Peter's house because all of his apostles are gathered around Simon's table for a business meeting. Jesus first brings up the tourist camp that keeps growing with more and more people arriving in Capernaum that followed him down from the mount, just showing up daily. And he understands that that this large crowd is going to draw unwanted attention from Rome towards Jesus and his ministry. And his solution is to send out the apostles to kind of divide Rome's attention. He's going to send out them or send them out in groups of, of two on a missionary journey, do some preaching and some healing in order to become less conspicuous as a ministry as the whole because apparently Jesus needs another break. So he's going home to Nazareth. Meanwhile, he's going to take an extended spring break, right? It's like the boss coming in from vacation just to, you know, check the books over. It's like, listen, I need a couple days. (laughs) We're out. (laughs) That vacation took a lot out of me. So Jesus is going to Nazareth. Apostles are going to go out in pairs to preach to the Jews. But they will not only teach, but he said that they're going to have the ability to heal by anointing them with oil. I was concerned about this verse at first when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. But I did a quick Google search, and there is one biblical reference to the apostles healing people with oil. Mark 6 and verse okay. 13. You want me to read it for you? I don't care. I figured you would anyways, and I'd have to cut it out. Mm-hmm. And 
glad I'm so predictable. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And it's sending out to 12. Very good. I thought of the James reference where it yeah, talks about the elders winning with oil as well. Yeah. So but James thank, you, thank you for this. But I, I do find it odd that so much attention was put on that one verse. Mm-hmm. But it's not against the Bible, so I'm not going to have a problem with it. But yeah. And I got to tell you, it is a good thing that they know a good olive oil supplier because they're going to need it. It's, it's chance would have it. Oh, you know, it almost seems like maybe they set that up as they were working on the plot. Huh. I'm just throwing that out there. You think? Uh, you know. Of course, when Jesus says that his apostles are going to heal people, they react with stunned silence. Matthew even asked Jesus to repeat himself. But Jesus is like, nah, you'll figure it out. He moves on. <laughs> You know, it's it's neat. I love what they've done with Matthew's character through all this. And we have seen Matthew with character growth over the last two se- or over the last two episodes. I mean he put which down is his, one of the really neat things they've done. He put down his fondling hanky at the beginning of this episode. Granted he has it the That's rest right. of the episode, but he did set it down for a second. He's he's growing into a man. Right before our eyes. And so Jesus moves on from the healing bomb that he just dropped on everybody and tells them that on this journey, they're going to rely on the kindness of strangers. They're not going to be bringing any food with them, money, bags, or even a change of of clothes. And again, I appreciated this scene because Jesus explains why he's doing this. And this is historically Mm -hmm. accurate. It was to differentiate the apostles from other wandering preachers who would constantly ask for alms for their teachings. And even carry mm-hmm. around special beggar bags. So they got Jesus' teachings for free. Now it's up to them to give Jesus' teachings for free at this point. And Jesus also says that as they go from town to town, if they cannot find anyone in a town to be hospitable and listen to their teachings, they need to stop wasting their time there and move on to the next town. His exact words were, shake the dust off your feet. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty good anecdote about shaking the dust off your feet, but I don't know. Oh, boy. If I should tell it. Yeah, we, well, we, need... we just put a cut point in here. And... For a while, I had a, a lot of Jehovah Witnesses coming to, to minister to me. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to the Waverly area. And um, they would stop by for like three weeks in a row, a couple days a week. They would stop by and hand me a new yeah. watchtower, and and I'd try to talk to them and voice my concerns. They'd try to talk to me and make up random stuff that didn't make sense. And I got to the point where I needed to shake them from my feet because they're just wasting my time, mm-hmm. and I was tired of them coming back. So. I had in my laundry a pair of shorts that I had since eighth grade. (laughs) Okay. Now, there's two things I know about the Jehovah Witnesses. Number one, Mm -hmm. they are an incredibly modest people. Modest. They do not believe in shorts. And they also 
are highly against tattoos. Now, uh-huh. obviously, I don't think my listeners have spent a lot of time looking at my legs, but on my left calf, there is a huge tattoo of a Celtic cross. You can't miss it. I mean, it takes up, it's a, my, my left calf is more black than white at this point because of yes. this tattoo. And so I saw the Jehovah Witness van pulling into my driveway, and I knew it was time. And I ran into my bedroom and I put on my, my two tight shorts that, that came up well to my thigh. I wear boxer briefs. I had to tuck the bottom of my boxer briefs into oh, the. I was going to say, in eighth grade, you were like five foot two, right. 97 pounds. I mean, these things look like hoochie, hoochie shorts. It looks like I was working at Hooters. So, anyways, the guy comes and knocks on my door. Hey, I thought we'd talk about uh, pick up our conversation where we left, left off. And I stepped with my tattoo out first in these short, short shorts. And I threw my arms back and I said, let's talk about it. The dude, <laughs> all of the color, <laughs> all of the... <laughs> I promise you. hit you. the trifecta. Yep. You hit and the I trifecta. Promise you, all of the color in this man's face drained. Now, at this time, I was written a house uh, out in the country a little bit, and it had a, a little bit of a gravel, gravel driveway. This man did not say another word to me. He just turned around and walked out without saying a word, got into his van, drove to the end of my driveway. Then him and the other two missionary people that were with him got out of the van and literally shook the dust off of their feet before they drove away, and I never (laughs) saw them again. You hit the trifecta. I know. Immodest, tattooed, and gay. Yep. And uh, (sighs) never saw them again. And I promise you, that is a 100% true story. Wow. Hmm. I can see you doing that. That's good stuff. So the apostles were to go out preaching in pairs. They were to go before Jesus, and they were to teach people what they heard during the Sermon on the Mount, and they were also to announce that Jesus is coming soon, like Jesus would be behind them to to preach. Again, I got to give it to this episode, because Jesus says that the miracles you're performing would prove that they spoke with the authority of God. That is the definition of miracle. It's not something that just happens. It's not a baby being born. It's proof that somebody who is speaking a new doctrine speaks with the authority of God, is the ability to perform miracles. If you don't have that authority or that ability, there's no reason to trust that they're from God because they're not working through the power of God. Mm-hmm. So, in this way, they were to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, many of the apostles are still nervous, and they start asking questions. What if if no one wants to help them, or no one gives them food? What if people want to arrest them like they did to John the Baptizer? And Jesus responded by telling them not to be afraid of those who killed the body, but be afraid of the one that can kill the soul. Now, that just upped their their concern level because all they heard was there's going to be people on this trip that are going to try to kill my body. Mm -hmm. And so they want to know if they're going to die on this trip. And Jesus becomes emotional at this point. Like he looks out the window, you can see the tears welling up in his eyes when he speaks, his, his voice breaks. 
because he knows what will eventually come. He knows that the majority of the men that are, are sitting around this table are going to die for his cause. But Jesus essentially tells them, someday you'll have to worry about persecution, but not yet. You're going to be fine on this trip. And he tells them to stop worrying about food and money and all that stuff because just that, or because this trip that they're about to take is not just a missionary journey, but it's an opportunity to build their faith and to learn what it means to truly rely on God. And I've never, I've never had that point highlighted to me the way the chosen did as to why Jesus told them not to bring any supplies. Mm -hmm. So even walking away from this, I feel spiritually fed because it brought up a new perspective that uh, I didn't think about before. Mm -hmm. There was, there was learning, there was learning that took place. And this is, this is one of, uh, I know you said you thought it was the best scene of all the seasons. I'll say it's right near the top. There's one coming up which totally touched me, and we'll get to that here in a second. Did you call the police? I did. And they laughed at me and left. They got to the end of the driveway and they they shook the dust off their nightstick. And but you're 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 right. There were things I never thought about Zach as he was talking to the disciples and it was, you know, we, we often talk about you and I talk about it. We talk about it with our congregations. We often will read through verses so fast and not think about some deeper level things that come on with these verses and the response in the chosen in this scene of those apostles, it meant something and you could begin to better understand some thinking that was going on there. But then also the care, compassion that Jesus has to try to comfort them as they're heading out. Right. Now they're at the end of the meeting, and Peter suggests that someone should be appointed as treasurer, someone to organize and keep track of the funds that they do have. Now the obvious choice is Matthew. He's a former tax collector. He's used to dealing with money, Mm -hmm. but Matthew doesn't want to deal with money anymore. So Matthew nominates the next logical choice, which is Judas, who has business experience. And it's a position that Judas accepts. So after that's settled, Jesus finally hands out the assignments. Peter and Judas are heading north to Caesarea Philippi. Now keep in mind, these assignments are completely from Jenkins' mind. Yeah. As far, yeah. As, far as I know, this the is Bible not... tells us they The Bible tells us they go out, right? but there's no direction in the Bible. But I am excited for some of these pairings. For example, Peter and Judas going on this trip together. I hope that from a drama uh, perspective, I hope that Peter and Judas become incredibly close. I hope Peter sees Judas by the end of the chosen. By the time they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, I hope Peter sees Judas as his closest friend. If you really want to dramatize the pain of that betrayal that's coming, yeah. that would be a great way to do it. Yeah. And we and, can't say that it happened, but who's to say that it didn't? Right. Andrew and Philip are heading east uh, to, to Neva. 
wherever that is. Nathaniel and Thaddeus are heading to Perea. John and Thomas are heading southwest to Joppa. Both of the James, which Jesus was real proud of himself for putting James the Less and James together on the same team, uh, we're going to be heading west to the plains of Sharon. And then Matthew and Simon are going to Jericho. Now, that last one is interesting because Matthew is a former tax collector and Simon is a zealot, a religious terrorist who hated tax collectors more than anything because tax collectors were seen as traitors to the Jewish people. And now they're going to be paired up and relying on each other. And there should be good drama that develops from that. And Simon is confused or is concerned about this, but Jesus basically looks at the zealot and I and tell him to get over his past hatred because none of the apostles are what they were before they were called. Which yeah. I was like, oof, that was good. That's good. That's good. As 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 your favorite character, Mary Magdalene, said, oh, I was that's one a- way. Yeah, and no, I'm another. Uh, that was one thing. <laughs> See, I loved it when it happened because I thought, oh, wow, that was really, really good there the first season. But, yeah, he's, he's trying to point that out. You guys were one way. You met me. Now you're another. Right. Anyways, that was one thing I did forget to point out. Jesus makes a point to look around the room and who's not there? The hammer herself, Mary Mag. The hammer. And I'm thinking, yeah. thank you, Jinx. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Jesus goes, the women are going to stay here and help with the religious tourists that are flooding into the city. And I'm like, oh, Mary Magdalene got sidelined for the first time in three seasons. Jenkins benched her. I know. It was beautiful. (laughs) And that's only because, you know, she's going to end up being the thief on the cross or something stupid. So, um, oh, man, I tell you right now, I'll give you a little prediction. I'll be furious if that's the case. You never know with the hammer. You never know. That's true. That's true. So, meeting's adjourned. Peter goes to console Eden, who's upset because Peter's leaving just when they decide they're going to start a family, and she really doesn't want anything to do with Peter and his explanations at the moment. And then we see Thomas go up to Jesus, and he's like, hey, I know that I've been keeping a, a pretty good secret, but um, I know it's going to be shocking, but I really like Rama. And Jesus is like, everybody knows. Thomas, everybody. You were... Th- Everybody. Don't play poker, bro. You're terrible. Uh, he's like, yeah, but I'd like to ask Rama to marry me. And Jesus is like, can I have her? I'd like to ask Rama to marry me. Can I have your permission? And Jesus is like, did you not hear where I was sending you? I told you yeah. to go down to where dad lives. Yeah. Of course you have my blessing. Now that was cool too. And I was like, okay. That this, was. But I'm telling you, this is how you do it. This is how you add stuff to the Bible story without polluting compromising right this is how you do it this is why i'm so hard on the chosen in episodes where they're bad because when they're good they're so good mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. episode i would rate 10 out of 10 i really would it was perfect i would too it's the best it's the best that we've seen yet i do not understand why this wasn't the season premiere yeah there was no point for last week's episode. I'm sorry, but there was no point. Mm-mm. I don't know who I'm there sorry wasn't. to. I know Jenkins is listening going, I hope they found some redeeming quality in season or in episode one. I didn't, Jenkins. Stop listening to my podcast. Makes me feel weird because I say a lot of mean things. And the whole, the whole thing with last, <laughs> the whole thing with the first episode 
The only thing it did was set up this episode, but they could have done that in 10 minutes. Right. So Thomas leaves the meeting with a dopey smile on his face, and who does he come across but Rama herself? And and, do, do, Rama, do. and Rama like basically immediately tells Thomas that she knows that Thomas is going to ask Rama's father for permission. She's like, yeah, it's obvious, dude. Everyone knows. And then she goes, I'm going to meet you down at, at Daddy's house to help persuade my father to, to say yes to you. So, oh, that's going to be a fun scene. Uh, so Jesus is leaving Peter's house, and little James stops him outside. And little James looks at Jesus with tears in his eyes, and he's like, Lord, how come you haven't healed me yet? And I looked at him, and I said, James, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Because you mentioned you were you had some sort of physical ailment last season. What is it? Yeah. You know, you have like a withered arm or something. What What are you talking about? I had to go online and look up uh, what was wrong with little James on the official chosen Wikipedia page. And uh -huh. it said, uh, quote, he was born with a form of paralysis, which gave him a limp he would have his whole life. That's Can the walking stick. Could you tell the actor that? Yeah. Could you could you tell the actor he's supposed to be walking with a limp? Because I promise you, I do not see anything wrong with him. Every time I see him, he looks able-bodied to me. Yeah. Don't diminish but, this scene for me. I dislike this scene. This is one of them. Did really you liked, really? Yeah, I really thought that this was just nothing but emotional goop. But, and I and I find it, it, it was it it was extremely emotional. But I actually find it problematic. Really? Yes, I do. Okay, go so, on. So James is here. He's like, Lord, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm paralyzed. Jesus is like, Are you? I don't see it. And I'm like, Thank you, Jesus. Me neither. Jesus didn't actually say that, but. They basically acted like little James was in a chair. <laughs> but but Jesus is like, he's like, why haven't you healed me yet? Little James says that Jesus basically says, I'm not going to heal you because your testimony will be more powerful if you remained paralyzed. Which, yes, I can see that on one hand. I've got uh, a member of my congregation who is severely physically handicapped. Uh like to the point where he's not like have a slight limp like James, but he mm -hmm. is in a chair for the rest of his life. And the fact that he wanted to be baptized and, you know, he's studying, he was concerned for his salvation, despite the fact that he's never going to have full control of his limbs and he never had his entire life is incredible. So yeah. I get where he's coming from, but Jesus says in this moment, do you think my father and I would allow this to happen to you if you weren't strong enough to deal with it? Something along those lines. Trust. I think did Jesus told him that, uh, you know, the, the, the chosen Jesus told him, I trust you. Right. I trust essentially, you. Essentially, you were crippled because I wanted you to be crippled. Or because I made you crippled in order to to highlight a point or to make your testimony stronger. And I'm not saying that God 
can't or doesn't do that. But it missed the point of where physical handicaps come from in the first place. God does not cause suffering. Period. Did it allude to that in this scene, though? Because if it did, I didn't. I, I didn't catch it. To me, it did. To me, it was saying, "Look, I picked you to be a cripple because I knew that you would still remain faithful." Yeah, I want to go back. I want to go back and watch this again because I don't know. I think you and I looked at it uh, kind of a little differently. I guess I didn't necessarily. I did. I guess I didn't necessarily take that he was made that way, but because he was that way, his testimony would be stronger. I mean, but because... Jesus, but Jesus does say, "My Father and I trusted you with this." Yeah. How many people do you think we can say that about? As in, the reason why you're cripple and not Peter is because you can handle it and Peter can't. Which I'm not yeah, saying well, that, that that doesn't you... happen, but I'm just saying that to me. It came across a little bit like God was, or, or that God is is causing little James's suffering. When there's a difference between causing suffering and allowing suffering to happen, to happen, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I agree with that. I agree with. He's that crippled because he's crippled because of sin. He's not. He's not crippled because he can do a good testimony. He's crippled because of the breakdown of humanity that has started all the way back in Eden. And death and disease and illness and physical mm-hmm. uh, physical problems have all resulted from sin. And so to me, it was a little bit concerning that it was that it seemed to 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 be alluding to the fact that God picks and chooses who's going to be crippled and who isn't. Yeah, see, and that's not that's not accurate. And I didn't like I said, I want to go back and watch it again. Um, cause I didn't take that from it, but what, what, what I heard Jesus say to him in that scene was to me totally motivating because of, of, I, I thought of just different people with their own illnesses, whatever, whatever those might be, physical, mental, emotional, medical, you know, and there is a, I want there you to is list- a place uh, go ahead. Can you list four more different illnesses that someone could have? Uh, well, no, that, that covers them. I think physical, covers mental, them. medical. You can't come up with just a few more Emotional. descriptions. Emotional. Well, okay. yeah. Uh, paraplegic, uh, schizophrenic. I think that's, that's physical. That's <laughs> mental. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know. I, I loved I loved what he had to say here. And if, if if that was the message, then I don't like that because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Every every ounce of suffering, every one hundred percent of suffering, comes from the breakdown of man in the garden through the to, till the period of this time. But the great message is, regardless of that, there's still a way to glorify God um, in whichever whichever state that you're in, so to speak. Um, you know, whether it is with great illness that you can still do that. Yeah. It's interesting too, because he's going to be able to heal others, but he can't heal himself. And, and yes, I get that, that we all have our problems and that it does say something that we're still remain faithful despite our problems. I don't want to take that away from it. Mm-hmm. But I also mm-hmm. don't like, I felt like this, this scene was emotional manipulation for the sake of emotional manipulation. 
you know, and, and that yeah. to me is just to keep, it's like the show, this is us, right? That I watched the first season of that show, thought it was good. But then I looked back and realized that the only reason why I thought it was good is because it made me cry every week. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. did that through emotional manipulation. They weren't telling a good story. They were just, mm-hmm. you know, making you well, think, hey, I cried. won't this hurt when your dad dies? Yeah, it will. This is us. You must be a powerful show because now I'm crying. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I cried at this scene and you're right. It was extremely emotional, but I guess I was, I was calling on in my mind, uh, what we find within what we find within scripture. But then what Jesus said was 100% accurate. The interesting thing is that I picked up on this scene as well is Jesus Jesus is he his portrayal his character mm-hmm. in here he looks troubled by what he won't do I think and yeah the guy that plays Jesus is again incredible he's, he's fantastic because he is welling up with James going I want with all my heart to heal you but yeah. that's not what is best mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. God's plan that may be best for you right now, but it's not best overall. And he does end the scene, and I do appreciate the ending of the scene where he looks at him and goes, I promise you, someday you will be healed. Yeah. And that's true yeah. for everybody. Yeah, everybody that's an obedient follower of Christ. Right. Or who yeah. feels yeah, like they are, if you're Thomas. So. Next scene. Anyway. Later in the evening, Matthew is walking past his old booth where he would collect taxes. And then he awkwardly makes his way through the evening Capernaum crowd, waves at somebody, runs into a Roman. You know, just typical Matthew things. And when he gets to his old house, he sees Gaius just standing there waiting for him. And the two meet like two exes, seeing each other for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. He's like, how, how are you doing? <laughs> Shalom. I'm doing. I'm doing good. How, how are you doing? I, I miss you. I mean, I, I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. Um, yeah, that's what was asked, but it wasn't spoken. I mean, what 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 brings you here? Oh, I, I needed to open my house up for my my friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, your friends. Well, they're friends of yours. I promise you, I'm going to protect them. I mean, you know, us guards, we're we're walking these streets, man, keeping it keeping it safe. Yeah, I just really wish I could go and hold you one more time. Um, but yeah, we're gonna keep that safe for you. Oh yeah, I appreciate it. Um, um, our Gaius, Gaius does a great job showing how troubled he is by what he heard at the Sermon on the Mount without saying it. Right. You know. So hey, there's a child abduction Amber Alert, Zanesville, Ohio. Sorry, if you heard all the buzzing, that's what it was. Okay, I didn't hear buzzing, but you better say it on the show because this will come out in three weeks from now, so I'm sure that... (laughs) (laughs) You're such a jerk. Hey, anyway, anyway, (laughs) folks, it's... uh, What is... It's March 23rd, and the event they haven't found this kid yet. Gaius and Matthew say goodbye, and the apostles show up, and they gather on Matthew's stoop, and they all stop and, and talk about how they're all scared to start their missionary journey. But they all come to the conclusion that it, 
They're going to be fine. They might upset some people, but upsetting people is worth it. And uh, they all resolve to remain strong. Peter leads everyone in a group huddle. And he... Yeah, bring it in, boys! Yeah. So they they all quote, you know, in their weird, chosen way. They all chant the third psalm. Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for in, or, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice, and he answered from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, Lord, save me, my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be upon your people. And the episode ends. Great episode. episode. Great episode of The Chosen. I think, do you think, do you think this one is the best we've seen thus far? All three seasons. It's the best I can remember. Yeah. No, the one, the one with the kids back in season one was really, really good. Yeah. but the, It was really, really good. The one with the kids, it was good. It was fine. But that was. Yeah. But it's, it's not better than this one. No. I mean, I think that this one is, is the best. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. We talked about the whole episode. So you got your money's worth, listeners. And listen, we're not like the apostles, okay? I've got a beggar's bag right here. If you want to send me some money. Go ahead. I'm not going to tell you no. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening to the Rotten Righteous Podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you haven't given us a rating, give us five stars. It's not technically lying. Uh, <laughs> what is it then? <laughs> listen. When the when the twelve spies were breaking in to to Jericho, did not Rama was that her name? No, it was uh, oh, it, uh, that's horrible. No, not it wasn't the, Rama. Did not the harlot hide them under her roof and Rahab. With the soldiers Rahab. Rahab. I was close. Rahab. Did not yeah. Rahab hide the the spies under her roof and tell the guards they went the other way? That's great, man. I love how you're equating uh, five stars on a podcast to uh, situational ethics in the Bible. Right. Just give us five stars. <laughs> All right? Just do it. Yeah, don't lie about it. Just do it because you've been told. Right. I'm telling you, give me five stars, please. Everybody else is doing it. And don't be like... Don't be like those 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 weenies that are like, oh, he told me to give him five stars. I want to give him one. Just just give me five stars, please. This is all I have. This is it. I go home to an empty, dark house. It's cold. Stale, stale food in the fridge. All I'm thinking is if they've listened to any part of this podcast, <laughs> or at least the beginning, you should give us five stars because Philip's got an ear infection. Right. You should give us five stars because Jesus said, render unto Caesars what is Caesars. And I'm a star, baby. So give me my stars. <laughs> it's horrible.
Oh, that is horrible. So, all right, tell me a joke. I uh, need to go. Okay, yep, so yep, do that. If you want to email us, email us at rottenrighteous at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion of something you want us to review in the future, or if you just want to call and tell us, hey, you're not a star, you really have a, a sense of delusion that you need to take care of by a medical professional, go ahead and do that, rottenrighteous at gmail.com. For Rotten Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. And next week, because Zach and I love you, we are going to sing Bruce Willis's version of When You Wish Upon a Star from Hudson Hawk. I mean, I'm not. No, literally, the only thing I understood from your sentence there was Bruce Willis. That was it. That's all I got. Have you never watched Hudson Hawk? No. What is Hudson Hawk? You have got to watch Hudson Hawk. Never. Listen, we have wasted our time with far worse movies. Hey, Scott. Not a lot, not hey, a Scott, lot of them. Scott, yes. can, can I tell my joke? Because you have to go. <laughs> I do have to go. Hey, Scott, before we go. Yes, you know, Jack? I hate it. They just put in a new uh, dog park here in Edmonton. And uh-huh. there's a little duck pond right in the middle. But every time I take my dog to the park, these these mean nasty ducks come up and try to bite them. This is really yeah. Well, that's what I get for buying a purebred dog. Pure bread. Bread. <laughs> <laughs> you should leave. They're not very good when you have to explain them, but that is funny. I know it is. <laughs> I feel so stupid. I'll talk to you soon, Zach. Okay, bye. bye. Listening to watch it or watch it. Your dad can be the my dad. <laughs>